Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Juliet Naked, The Believer, and A League of Their Own. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. It's sports movie time. How do you feel about sports movies? Well, Jessica... I really enjoy sports movies, which is strange because I really do not have an affinity for sports. I enjoy whenever we go to like a live event or, and I enjoy watching soccer mm-hmm. on television, mostly during World Cup because I'm a scrub. <laughs> but sports movies, they're a different breed and I, I really love them from the hard hitting ones that actually focus on the game to the ones that are like money ball that are like behind the scenes machinations. They're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of feel the same. I really, really love sports movies. My favorite sport is soccer, and it will always be and has always been. I played soccer for like eight years of my life, and it was fun. So I love soccer. I love watching it, and I'll definitely go to live soccer games. I like going to hockey games, too. Those are fun. Yeah. But those are the only sports games that I really want to go to live, like attend. But movies, I'll watch pretty much any sports movie because the stories are so inspiring, and then I love seeing human transformation like building to a goal and working together or just seeing what the body is physically capable of. It's awesome. I also love the Olympics, both winter and summer. So I'm always watching those. That's another sports thing that I love. I enjoy certain events in the Olympics, but I know that whenever the time comes around that I will probably be leaving you to watch a lot of events by yourself because you want to really get in it. And I'm just like, just give me the highlights. I'm pretty good. If there's a certain narrative I get wrapped up in, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I like to record as many as I can and just watch them because it's just so great. These people have been training all of their lives and then they just do miraculous feats. It's amazing. We come to the feats of strength. Yeah, I'm not against sports in general. I understand why people get invested easily because we've seen U.S. women's soccer team live and Mm -hmm. we've become invested in their story. So whenever we watch something like LFG recently, I'm just like, I know those women and I know what they're fighting for and like I feel connected to them so I understand like the emotional connection that people get from sports I just don't personally feel I have the time to get invested a lot like that yeah that's why I only get invested in certain sports that I have a special place in my heart for like soccer but hockey is fun and exciting and the Olympics are pretty exciting all of them but movies about sports yes I will totally watch because they're usually very very moving remember the Titans is one of my favorite sports movies and it will make me cry every single time that I watch it yeah because it's just I don't know just all of them working together to play football it's just weird and how moving it is (laughs) yeah and Friday Night Lights is probably my top show of all time so (laughs) yeah it surprised the hell out of me when it debuted Moneyball also surprised me because I really, really love that, actually. It was really good. And I don't really love watching baseball, so it's interesting. But as we'll talk about later, baseball can make some pretty good movies. That's true. See, I'll watch a baseball movie, mm-hmm. but I won't watch a baseball game. <laughs> not even live? I have before, but it's... Were you bored as hell? Yeah, it's not that thrilling or anything. Yeah, I think it's for a lot of people, it's just the experience of going to a game. Yeah, America's Greatest pastime. Yeah, you can just drop in, have a dog. (laughs) Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't think that I'll ever go back. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah, if you just root root, root for the home team. Okay. (laughs) 
Speaking of masters of their craft, I watched Lemonade again this past week, and I think it was the third or fourth time that I've seen it in full. As in my feelings, I was getting in it. It is an absolute masterpiece. Words cannot describe. It is seriously a piece of art. I cannot fathom how she even just created this and then she wrapped it around like that whole poem that that other woman wrote and she directed it along with some other people she like co-directed it she co-wrote all of her music and stuff and co-produced it is her magnum opus would you expect any less from beyonce no i wouldn't the fact that she did that is so miraculous and amazing i know once she puts out another album it will be amazing but right now i just can't even fathom how she's going to be more amazing than that. I mean, she always finds a way. Yeah. Beyonce finds a way. Yeah, and like how she shifted the culture around certain things, like visual albums. Mm-hmm. That was like Beyonce. Visual albums are her thing. So because before that, she did um, self-titled Beyonce, and that was like a visual album as well. And like the surprise drop was more of her thing too. I know other people have visual albums, and it's been done in the past, but not on this scale. This premiered on HBO in 2016 so was it's, it that recent? Yeah, it's been five years. I thought it was older than that. No, it's only been five years. I mean, she just did Black as King, and that was like another kind of visual album thing. <sighs> I hope she puts out an album this year. I really, really hope she does. Well, ideally, you would have her put out an album every year. Maybe, but then it wouldn't be as good. I mean, if it maintained the quality. Yeah, if she could maintain the quality. If she just pulled a Taylor <laughs> Swift and just two albums a year. Yeah. Boom. I mean, she totally could with one, at least one year. Mm -hmm. She could put out like three in a year because she has so much backlog. But she's such a perfectionist. I don't know if she could handle that. Yeah. I remember pretty vividly, like the night that that premiered on HBO when we watched it, not only the visuals were so striking, but just like her evolution musically Mm -hmm. to that point. I was just like, this is really amazing. Like, especially when something like Don't Hurt Yourself or something came up. I'm like, whoa, this is not what I expected from Beyonce, but I loved it. And I still love that album. I remember watching it. I was just like speechless the entire time. I couldn't believe it. It was so incredible. Yeah. (laughs) And it still is. There's so many layers to it. It is insane. Just with the poem and the visuals and then her songs. And it's just like interwoven her personal relationship with Jay-Z and then just racial inequality, like black people's struggles all throughout time up until now. And then like feminism. It's so layered. Yeah. It is a different experience than just listening to the album it's its own thing it's not just like i'm gonna watch this album how it's presented like front to back on the cd she kind of she makes it a fully Mm -hmm. immersive experience that's enhanced yeah more fleshed out viewpoint it's a film yeah I love seeing her evolution throughout time Mm -hmm. up until now. I mean, she's always been amazing, even whenever she was in Girls' Time and Destiny's Child, but just from the point where she stopped saying, like, I'm not going to please the radio as much. I don't really care, and I don't care about being radio-friendly. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. I'm going to make art. And she's just making art. And the radio's still like, well, we have to play Beyonce. (laughs) Yeah, they they find out a way to play it, and they'll play the most radio friendly songs that she has so hopefully she puts out another album this year yeah well 
This week, I want to talk about two movies that are very different from one another that I watched recently. First is the Masaki Kobayashi epic, The Human Condition. He's the director of Harakiri, and The Human Condition is a over nine and a half hour long journey. It's over 9,000! Which I know sounds ridiculous in length, but it's broken up into three distinct three hour plus movies. And each one follows a man in World War II era Japan who has high moral integrity trying to survive in a world that's corrupt, but he's not really in a place where he's willing to accept how broken the world is and how messed up the government is of Japan. So it starts out with him getting a exemption from going into the war by heading up this mining company and trying to employ humane labor practices for some of the Japanese workers and Chinese prisoners who were caught and put to work. And just kind of how each decision he makes through his journey, trying to be a good man, screws him over and it leads him to lose his exemption, get sent to the front lines of the war, and then subsequently trying to make his way back home to his wife. So it's kind of like this epic journey of him constantly realizing how messed up the world is, how his idealized perception of the world is not completely accurate just because humans are oftentimes garbage. I had to break it up into chunks, but I did really, really enjoy this movie. Compared to something like Satan Tango, which I watched earlier this year, which runs two hours less at like seven and a half hours. That movie is very alienating probably to some audiences because it'll hold like a shot for like seven to ten minutes of just watching like a cow move out of frame. But this, it's normally paced. It just has a lot of story that it wants to cover. Anyone who's interested in Japanese cinema, this is probably one of the landmark feats from what I've seen. And the polar opposite of that movie is a movie we watched together in recent weeks, and that is Valley Girl, which is the updated version, the 2020 version, that takes the classic 80s property and turns it into a jukebox musical. And while this is not a cinematic classic by any means, it has some fun moments, and I really like the performance from uh, Jessica Roth as the lead. I enjoy her in Happy Death Day, and she does a really good job here. And it has a fun cast, and it has... lot of good takes on 80s music. It really embraces the 80s nostalgia and there's some really fun choreography from Mandy Moore from So You Think You Can Dance. The ensemble is pretty fun. So I enjoyed it for what it was. I liked it. It was pretty good. It wasn't amazing but it was fine to watch once. So yeah, if you want just like a quick dose of like 80s music set to some fun dancing, it's not a bad remake. I think it's streaming on Hulu now. If you want to get up and dance, that's a fun one. But speaking of dancing, Jessica, shall we Sundance? We shall. I may look like a nice English lady in a sensible cardigan, but these days it's a thin veneer and it's starting to crack. Who wants to bring kids into this bloody world? My point is I just don't think that the world needs more kids. I think we get it. 
Tucker Crow, one of the most unsung figures of alternative rock. Hasn't been seen in 20 years. That's him. Wow, he's so gorgeous. Thank you. I think I've had enough Tucker bloody crow to last 20 lifetimes. Tucker has a new album, and I don't want to spend my time with someone who doesn't get it. Oh, somebody new. Juliet Naked is a naked attempt to squeeze a few more quid out of a long dead career. You wrote this. It was the strangest thing. I met someone on the internet. You're finally entering the modern age. You read that review I posted. You nailed it. I couldn't have explained it better myself. Tucker Crow. Tucker Crow, as in Duncan's idol, Tucker yes. Crow. Yeah, it's really me. What's your story? Well, I'm Juliet Naked premiered at Sundance in 2018. It was based on the novel by Nick Hornby and adapted for the screen by Evgenia Peretz, Jim Taylor, and Tamara Jenkins. It was directed by Jesse Peretz. It stars Rose Byrne, Ethan Hawke, Chris O'Dowd, and Lily Brazier. Annie breaks up with her longtime boyfriend Duncan, a teacher who's obsessed with former 1990s rocker Tucker Crow. She soon develops an unexpected bond with Tucker via email after he came across a scathing review Annie wrote about a stripped-down bootleg version of his album. Tucker eventually visits his pregnant daughter and Annie in London, forcing Duncan to come face to face with his hero. Duncan must come to terms with the fact that Tucker Crow is only a man and also one that notices Annie and doesn't take her for granted like Duncan did. So we saw this movie shortly after it came to theater and I remember at the time after seeing it, I really enjoyed it. It's really good. It's a nice feel-good movie and it's kind of like an indie rom-com but better than just a normal rom-com, if that makes sense. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I really like the cast. They're really good in it. Our saga of Roseburn movies continues. I really enjoyed this one as well whenever we saw it, and it was fun revisiting it. It has enough of that indie aesthetic that it sets itself apart more so from mainstream studio comedies, and it has kind of that melancholic feel in terms of Annie being taken for granted by Duncan and just how he treats her and very unfortunate how unfulfilled she feels in her life and just kind of how she's accepted mundanity. Yeah. I've only read one book by Nick Hornby, I think, and it was called Slam and I liked it a lot. I've seen a few of his books turned into movies and I usually like them. He's a good writer. Yeah. I like his storytelling and his style. He's good with characters and like character interactions. This concept, it's kind of odd because it's not very believable. It is almost kind of structured like a studio comedy of just maybe like Notting Hill where Julia plays the actress who Mm -hmm. falls in love with a commoner. But at least Ethan's character is not in his prime. He's just kind of like a forgotten relic of the 90s or whatever. Yeah, it is kind of coincidental how the two come together but I think the reasons they come together as far as like how they connect I think it's very nice and believable for these particular characters. Yeah, I like that it makes Duncan have to face his idol liking someone better than him, even though he never thought that he would meet Tucker or that Annie would meet Tucker, but he has to deal with his jealousy in that fact, too. Yeah, and it just shows how all-consuming, like, fandom can be. It's good to have passion for stuff, but maybe don't be so... Overbearing. Yeah, because, like, a very amusing moment to me is early on in the film when Duncan is trying to show this girl who's over for dinner, like, tell about Tucker to this girl, and he shows, like, a picture of him in his prime, and she's like, oh, he's so beautiful, and Duncan's like, thank you. 
like he's responsible for it. Like he feels yeah possession over him. Yeah, and he thinks that he is cool because he knows all of the stuff about Tucker. He's a Tucker expert whenever he's not really because he just knows the lore and not Tucker personally. Yeah, and even tries to confront Tucker on his own life whenever he meets him later. And just yeah. like, are you sure you're remembering that? You should have been in this period of career. I've researched it. And just like, dude, this is the guy's life. Yeah. Duncan's relationship with Annie just reminds me of how a lot of women will get lost in a relationship and lose themselves because they want to do things with their partner and they want their partner to like them. Their interests and what makes them sparkle and shine, um, it just gets put off onto the back burner and then they have to do what the boys do in order to spend time with their boyfriend or husband. So it's like they lose themselves and his interests and obsession is overbearing and it doesn't leave any room for Annie at all and it, he doesn't even appreciate or notice her because he's so in love with this idea of Tucker Crow and it's a pretty common thing yeah. I've seen a lot. You know what this reminds me of? I've showed you on like some of the Facebook pages of people who are in, really into home media collecting like mm-hmm. I am but just the people who post on this board and how they usually dudes and <laughs> how they uh, overwhelmingly dudes. Yeah. I and, would say like 90%. Yeah but a lot of these people they're just talking about how have to like hide things from their wives or like oh my wife's like she doesn't understand or but she thinks I'm crazy but just showing this stuff to you and just reading it I'm just like these people are whack they're ridiculous and I feel like very lucky that you can at least share in my passion for home media with me I get to like excitedly show you stuff and just say hey look at this stuff I got in you're like cool yeah the partners like that they see their girlfriends or their wives as like old ball and chain and she's here to ruin my party and so whenever it's like that it just makes me think well why are you in a relationship (laughs) because if you just think that she's going to be a buzzkill what are you doing so uh, in the movie with Duncan it's not that he thinks that she's a buzzkill he just he doesn't have the patience or interest to do things that interest her or explore her interests or even make her happy or anything Mm -hmm. he doesn't even bother with her interests she's just there to serve him and delight in his interests whenever she does not care about Tucker Crow. Yeah, he tries to relate everything back to Tucker and it's just, it consumes the relationship. Anytime it tries to go a little bit away from Tucker, he'll move it back and just, yeah, you can have your passions, but just like make sure it's complemented with some other outside thing. Like make sure you're well-rounded. Yeah. I mean, even if a person is super obsessed with one thing, Mm -hmm. I think that's okay, but they need to learn how to not be selfish with it. And if you're going to be in a relationship, you need to learn how to share a little bit and you need to be interested in the other person that you're with. You have to split it a little bit and your other interest needs to be your relationship with people, be it friends or a romantic partner. Just Because I'm super obsessed with the Beatles and I love Paul McCartney and also I love Beyonce and I'm obsessed with these things, but I also have other interests and luckily my other interests are yours too, but if you had other interests, I don't know, something. Yeah, but um, I would do it. You get really excited about learning medical stuff, like really cool, interesting medical things. Yeah, I love science. I don't particularly love science, but I love hearing you talk about science because you get 
get so excited and you'll just be like, this wild thing happened. And I was like, dope, tell me all about it. Yeah. If you had other interests that weren't my own, Mm -hmm. like if you had strong interests outside of music and movies, Mm -hmm. I would do things with you. I would gladly listen to you talk about something. I'm not going to just force you to do everything that I want to do because that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Annie, it leads her to being so put off from this. She doesn't try to get into a relationship with Tucker or anything. She doesn't even know that he's going to read it. She's like, I'm going to hit back at him and ruin. Not ruin, but like... It's a revenge review just because she was mad at him. Yeah, which just leads, fortuitously leads her to Tucker. I like their dynamic because it's not a fan-artist relationship. It's just two people who are in weird stages of their life that aren't super fulfilling and they can both help each other lift each other up. Yeah, they just relate to each other as humans. (laughs) Where this guy that Duncan has put up on a pedestal is just some just some dad out in the woods. Yeah, trying to figure his life out. Yeah, trying not to be a deadbeat. And then he notices Annie and Duncan is just like, well, he didn't notice me. And then also it's like the whole thing where if someone notices your toy, you suddenly are just like, well, that's mine. Why Why do you want it? The thing is, Duncan, even before she did anything, he was the bad guy. He ruined the relationship between him and Annie in various ways. Yeah, and there just... wasn't any room for Annie in the relationship. Yeah. So Duncan, he's played by Chris O'Dowd, who I love, and he'll elevate most things he's in. And he gives some small amount of charm to this guy who could have been completely insufferable. He has a gentle demeanor, like a puppy dog demeanor, but then also he's the worst. So if it wasn't Chris O'Dowd, I don't think this movie would work as well because I think you would hate him too much, probably. Yeah, because he's more of like the actually person. Yeah, which no one likes. Yeah. I like how Ethan Hawke and Rose Byrne interact. I like their chemistry. Mm -hmm. It's very sweet. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, I'm just saying, he's one of our greatest actors. Mm -hmm. He's Sundance King, but (laughs) even from episode one, we were talking about Gattaca, just like, I want him to know he's always in our hearts because he can play such different roles. This is kind of just like more of a gentler, more human Ethan Hawke, just like Mm -hmm. simple, but he does it really well. It's just like a character that he can really bring life to in a really nice way and Rose Byrne she's always lovely I like how she can play both not in this movie but she can play very like cutting or dark when she needs to or she can play very broken or she can play very light she's very versatile yeah and here she gets to do a good balance of kind of broken but also has a little bit of lightness about her we've also been watching physical on apple tv recently and just seeing her different little nuances between her different performances she's wonderful yeah i like her a lot and i love ethan Hawke. like i said in the first episode it still surprises me that people don't know him that well at least whenever i talk about him or something just people in work environments are like who (laughs) yeah it's ridiculous I like how uh, in the movie, Annie also gets to get a little taste of the family life whenever Tucker comes to visit and she gets to bond with his son, Jackson, and just kind of getting a glimpse of what has been deprived from her by Duncan just because he made up his mind long ago that they as a couple had decided that they weren't going to have kids. But then just even early on in the movie, you kind of see her try to be like, no, I don't think we completely decided that. And he's like, yeah, we, we don't want to be parents this is neither of us wants it and she's just like ah 
I don't. What he says goes. Yeah. He's the more dominant personality. Because he doesn't listen to her and they don't have a good open back and forth. I know it probably sounds like this movie (laughs) sounds heavy, but there is a lot of lightness to it and funny moments. Like Annie's sister, Roz, provides for a lot of amusing moments because of her tragic dating life and how she just keeps picking the, in Annie's eyes, oddest uh, choices. Yeah. I was laughing pretty consistently through this whenever I wasn't irritated at Duncan. Um, and there's a lot of nice, emotional, like, heartfelt moments. So I don't want this to sound like it's just a tragic piece of cinema. Yeah, it's not. It's very heartwarming, I would say. Mm-hmm, Even though you can be irritated. And you just might learn something. Yeah, give this a watch because it is definitely worth your time. And it's a good movie. Michael rocks! Michael does not rock! Can you please tell me that rating system? My rating system for this movie as bootleg albums. I would give this movie four and a half bootleg albums out of five. What a strong rating. (laughs) I'm not going to go quite that high, but I'm going to go with three and a half bootleg albums. Okay. Um, If you would like to see, if you agree with us, Juliet Naked is currently available on Canopy, Voodoo with Ads, or on Blu-ray. Hello? Daniel Balin. Mm -hmm. I'm a reporter. Reporter for who? New York Times. People hate Jews, do you agree? The very word makes their skin crawl. They undermine traditional life, and they deracinate society. You can take the greatest Jewish minds ever. Marx, Freud, Einstein, what have they given us? Communism, infantile sexuality, and the atom bomb. Danny, this is great, but how can you believe all of this when you're a Jew yourself? The Believer debuted at the Sundance Film Festival in 2001, where it won the Grand Jury Prize. It is directed by Henry Bean and written by Bean and Mark Jacobson. The film stars Ryan Gosling, Billy Zane, Teresa Russell, Summer Phoenix, Ronald Gutman, Glenn Fitzgerald, Garrett Dillahunt, and Elizabeth Reeser. The film follows Daniel Balint, a hardcore American racist skinhead who, because of his intelligence, leads a gang dedicated to fighting the enemy, the supposed American Jewish conspiracy for domination. However, he's hiding a secret. He's Jewish born, a brilliant scholar whose questioning of the tenets of his faith has left him angry and confused, turning against those who he thinks have a tragic history of their own making. I had been really interested in watching this film for a long time. I've always seen the cover art and it looked very evocative. But what I didn't know for a long time was that it starred Ryan. Um, I just saw the cover art and I was like, that seems interesting. I'll get to it eventually. And here some 20 years later... Here we go. Here we go, baby. The movie is very intense. It kind of reminds me a little bit of American History X. Mm -hmm. I'll just say, ever since he was a young Mouseketeer, (laughs) Ryan Gosling has really shown how talented he is, and he is amazing in this film. I think he really brings this very hateful character to life really well, and... (laughs) I was reading some reviews, like Roger Ebert review from the original release, and he was positing whether it should be released at all because it might inspire more hatred into the world, which I don't think this movie should be censored in that way. But it's interesting how it's only grown more pertinent to the cultural conversation because the film was released in 2001 before September 11th, and even though this is more toward Jews, it seems like hatred has 
has just grown even more in the country since that time. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this came out before then is very interesting because neo-Nazis and everything are just more prevalent than ever. So yeah, they're rising again. Yeah. There are issues I have with this movie that we can get into, but overall, I think it's a very strong movie. I agree. I liked it a lot. And I was going to say, Ryan Gosling went from a mouseketeer, but also a baby goose into a full adult goose. (laughs) A gosling? (laughs) Yes. He's a full adult goose now. Yeah. So... (laughs) His acting skills are pretty, pretty, pretty good. I really enjoy watching him in movies, and I love the choices that he makes with his roles. Even whenever he was younger, he was making good choices, so it's pretty cool to see. But this movie was really good, and like you said, it's really intense. It's a good movie about self-loathing and just dealing with everything that comes with it. But it's interesting how he is like a scholar in that area, and he studies it so hard. And I think he was studying everything so thoroughly just to be able to poke the holes where he needed to, like to find the, the flaws. So he's looking for answers and he's like, well, I hate this about it. So, and then he looks into that area and he's like, yes, that's why, this is why. And so he knows everything like front and back more than probably his teachers and everything. (laughs) Yeah. That was also kind of one of the problems I had with the movie is just his motivations for things were kind of unclear. You get some flashbacks to him as a youth and just being unhappy with some of the answers his teachers were providing him whenever he would push back against certain lessons and the questions he would ask and the teacher didn't really want to engage with him and spar with him like he really wanted to. It seemed like his reasoning for going against his heritage kind of seemed a little bit underdeveloped. I think it was pretty developed because I think he hates how the Jewish people like learning their history and on the whole have been persecuted. He doesn't want to be the person who gets bullied. He wants to be in charge so he would rather just be the bully instead. And I think he's sick of seeing them kind of roll over. That's what he sees in his eyes. He just sees them roll over and take it. It disgusts him. Like he even says it in the movie and just the look on his face whenever they talk, like in that group where he has to go. Yeah. And they're saying... The Holocaust survivors. Yeah. They were talking about their experiences and he was disgusted. He looked physically disgusted and he was just like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you stand up? And he doesn't want to be bullied or anything so I don't think he wants that as a part of himself so he just hates that part of himself therefore he hates the Jewish people. I can see where that was the intention behind it. I don't think they really showed him being bullied that much as a child that would lead him to wanting to rebel against the weakness. I don't think it was just him being bullied like I said I think it's the entire race of people. It seems like a big leap to want to jump to killing people from just a general hatred of how his people have reacted over the years. I think it mostly jumped to him wanting to be in charge and strong and powerful first before he could get bullied or persecuted or anything. So he's already, he already has the upper hand and then his hatred just took him over and consumed him. And then he got involved with the other people. They also really hate Jews and they are not Jewish and he just got caught up in it. And so he was like, yeah, let's kill some people because he's just angry. Yeah, but then he became the most insidious part of them because everyone else, they just talk a big game almost. They probably wouldn't really do stuff, but he actually really
really wants to execute things. And yeah, because he hates himself and he hates the Jewish people. I think they gave him the outlet to explore his hatred. Yeah, I understand. I just don't really buy the leap from child to murderous adult. Self-hatred does a lot. I can buy it. Just the things that he's learned and their entire history and everything and what he's feeling, I can buy it. And then whenever he had jumped to wanting to kill people, he was even kind of tormented and struggling with it. So I don't think he actually wanted to kill them. I think he was trying to follow through, but then he couldn't. And he he was trying to prove something to himself, maybe. But he was setting up the murder of that guy on the street. Yeah. But whenever it comes down to it, every single time he had to kill someone, he was very conflicted and tormented. Yeah. I think it would have just resonated more strongly with me if they had made a little more of an effort to show his journey. Him getting bullied as a kid? Not necessarily more that, but just some kind of stronger motivation for me. I think it can easily happen, especially with uh, all the mass shootings and stuff today. Some of those people who do it, it's not like they were bullied or anything. It's just something. Yeah. But also, like I said, self-hatred. It can make you do a lot of bad things. Yeah. I mean, this makes it sound like like I'm (laughs) criticizing the movie heavily. I'm not. That one aspect is more so. Yeah, just that part. Yeah. But overall, I think it's a very strong and intense movie. Like you mentioned the scene with the Holocaust survivors. Like that was really rough because it's like a court mandated thing that he has to listen to these people along with his friends and his friends are making jokes about it and making light of everyone's pain. But he's not making a joke of it. He really goes after them. And whenever you think that he might soften, it just doubles down his hatred of just seeing the weakness in front of them where any normal person would just have their heart broken by the tragedy. Yeah, but he is disgusted by it because he's disgusted that they didn't stand up and do something. Mm -hmm. That the Holocaust happened, he's absolutely disgusted. Yeah. By them, not just by Hitler. He's just like, I can't believe you. Yeah, like you would quote unquote like roll over. Yeah, I can't believe you let this happen. This movie is filled with hateful rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's very, I could understand where it'd be triggering for certain people. Yeah. But I think it's really well done. One other aspect I would kind of criticize is that the Billy Zane of it all, the his little side group that is working with Daniel, that they never really amount to much. They're really kind of inconsequential in the end, and they just don't really do a lot with that kind of subplot. Because Daniel's trying to take it to a whole other level <laughs> as far as uh, yeah. hatred goes, but the actual group that he's a part of, like their tactics and everything, it never really does that much in the film. Yeah, it seems like most of the people that he surrounds himself are all empty threats. Mm-hmm. But I think they're all just fuel to his fire. Yeah. I guess the ensemble was not really fleshed out as much as I think it could have been. It was definitely just focused on Daniel and mm-hmm. his journey. I think it could have been slightly stronger with a richer ensemble to like compliment him. But I mean, Ryan's strong enough to carry most of it on his own. Yeah. And his interactions with Carla are the most meaningful relationship with another person in the movie, I would say. Mm -hmm. And just how she's interested in his relationship with Judaism and how he 
can read the Torah and how she wants to learn to read the Torah. And it's a really messed up, interesting dynamic. It is a really good movie. And I'm glad that it was released. It's very intense and heartbreaking. I will say that I do think that American History X was a little bit better yeah. overall whenever I think about it. But this one was still good. Yeah. I think that one was also aided by, like I said, a stronger ensemble. And you had like the Edward Furlong character going against the Edward Norton, the brother dynamic and where yeah. each were in their journey. But one thing I wanted to say about this film is I was surprised to learn it was kind of inspired by a true story. I learned that it was based on this guy from the 60s who was a Nazi, neo-Nazi at the time, who threatened to kill himself if a New York Times article came out that was going to expose him as a Jewish person. And then the article came out and a few hours later killed himself. So yeah, I think I'd seen that whenever I was reading stuff about this movie. Yeah. So it's not completely unbelievable. It's not like it's similar to the Chappelle show sketch with the the black clansmen, like the black yeah, races. He, he doesn't know that he's black. Yeah, he's blind. Yeah. yeah. But at least Daniel knows that he's Jewish. He's just hiding it. It's a very interesting movie. And even though it's filled with hate, I don't think it should be silenced. No. And I don't think that it hates on Jews or anything. There is anti-Jewish rhetoric throughout, but it's not a movie that's supposed to make you hate yeah, Jews. Yeah, it's, it's more of his personal struggle and journey. Yeah, you should be seeing this character as very problematic and mm. troubled on his journey. Yeah, like I said, it's a good depiction and just portrait of self-loathing and the trouble it causes. Oh, good for you! And how was it? What is your rating system? I uh, struggled with this because I don't want to make light of anything really in mm. this. So I just went with the Torah. <laughs> I would have done the same. So... <laughs> Despite it seeming like I was railing against this movie a lot, I did really love it, and I would give this four Torahs out of five. I think I will give this three and a half Torahs out of five. If you want to see what you think of this film, it is currently streaming on Roku with ads, and it's available digitally. I'd like to lead you all in a little prayer. Dear Lord, may our feet be swift, may our bats be mighty, may our balls be plentiful. And Lord, I... I'd like to thank you for that waitress in South Bend. You know who she is. She kept calling your name. This summer, Tom Hanks is managing the impossible. The Rockford Peaches. League of Their Own was released in 1992. It was written by Kim Wilson, Kelly Kandel, and Lowell Gans. It was directed by Penny Marshall. It stars Gina Davis, Madonna, Tom Hanks, Lori Petty, Rosie O'Donnell, and Megan Cavanaugh. When World War II threatens to shut down Major League Baseball, candy maker Walter Harvey of Harvey Bars decides to create an all-women's baseball league so baseball will not remain dormant while the men are away. A scout for the women's team passes through Oregon where he recruits two competitive sisters, Dottie Henson and Kit Keller, to the league. Former baseball player and now drunk Jimmy Dugan is hired on as the coach of the sisters' team, the Rockford Peaches. After giving the bare minimum effort to this role, Jimmy slowly becomes invested in the women and the league. The sisters struggle along with the rest of the women to keep the league alive even amidst their own personal rivalries and struggles. 
Even though I said that Remember the Titans was one of my favorite sports movies, this is also one of my very favorite sports movies. I love it. I think it is almost perfection. The cast is stellar and the performances, perfection. Uh, this is also one of my very favorite Madonna roles and my very favorite Rosie O'Donnell roles. Yes. <laughs> they are exceptional in this movie. <laughs> They're one of the best parts of the movie, I would say. <laughs> Just the story, it's great and it's inspiring and it makes me feel really nice and just really proud. I'm so proud retroactively of these women for playing the hell out of baseball and just being awesome and just uniting the country during that time and having them all on their side and just rooting for them and it makes me laugh a lot as well and their uniforms and everything are absolutely ridiculous and stupid the fact that they thought that was a good idea because they're going to be sliding so if they don't want dirt and rocks up their badge and butts <laughs> let's not have skirts yeah <laughs> and just the fact that you're sliding your bare skin on rocks and everything so you can have bruises and cuts and it's awful they just wanted to draw people there with sex but then you can't just use that because you actually have to have them play the game or else they're going to be like, I don't want to look at this. But do you though? <laughs> for, just... for the guys in the audience, they're like, yeah, all right. Hey, baby. I guess because you have that one that's like, slide, slide. And then yeah. she slides and he's like, thank you. Yeah. But like, you'd think that you'd need something else for them to stay. Well, Jessica, you got to remember, <laughs> this was the 50s? World War II, 40s and 40, 50s. Okay, so there was no internet porn back then, so this is all they got. The, I, all they got is girls in skirts just traipsing around playing baseball. I guess, but they're also, it's a lot of girls standing. That's enough. <laughs> you can see those legs. <laughs> I just... Have I, you seen classic movies? They're all buttoned up. They're sleeping in separate beds you could see their shoulders and stuff they had like strapless gowns mm, i mean sometimes there's like pinup girls and stuff yeah but that's not a, <laughs> a moral thing to be buying those magazines you can go to a baseball game oh for a guy who cares no one's even looking small town life those cashiers know <laughs> those cashiers know if you're looking at the the dirty mag they don't care you know the cashier is just a guy because they don't let women work at that time True. <laughs> so they, it'd just be like, yeah, dude, the one that you want's in the back saved it for you. <laughs> I, I like that they do show at least that, like, after the girls do slide, just how messed up their leg gets. Yeah, it looks really bad, and I'm sure it was really bad, too. Yeah ridiculous well i love this movie i think it's probably one of the best movies to come out of the 90s it is very funny but it also has a lot of emotional moments like dramatic moments too unexpectedly it had been a while since i had seen this and as i think we were talking about i wasn't sure if i'd ever seen it completely front to back without falling asleep or yeah because we watched it together yeah before and this and i was like i don't remember this part i don't remember this part but hey you know what pretty good movie you know what you know what time it is <laughs> batter up <laughs> hear that call <laughs> i cannot harmonize with you i won't do that to our audience <laughs> okay since husbands are at war and everything there were some unexpected to me developments because you get so wrapped up in the baseball of it all you forget why they're there yeah there's a dramatic twist that i wasn't thinking about but everyone as you said everyone in these roles are amazing especially gina davis she's the best Mm-hmm. And I like that this came after Beetlejuice because <laughs> Lady has range. Yeah. I 
love her dynamic with Kit. It brought me such joy watching this movie with you because just little moments like at the beginning, it would repeat throughout the movie where they would pick at each other like, mule, nag, and just like seeing you kind of like quote along with it and just giggle at it just enhanced my enjoyment of the movie. Yeah. And just Madonna, like you said, this is probably the, one of the best things she's done. Music yes. included. This is a great yes. role. Yes. <laughs> but just some of the lines that she would have were hilarious and just seeing you <laughs> lose it over them. And yeah. Just your indignation over whenever she was like, there's no pockets for my cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> and you were like, yes, pockets for women. Yes. Still, no pockets at that time. <laughs> if there's anything that this podcast could accomplish, I hope it's that someone listening starts making more pockets for women. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> But this movie, Penny did such an amazing job with it. It's like perfectly structured and shot and Mm -hmm. everything's so intricately put together. Even stuff like whenever Tom Hanks does his epically long peeing scene, the way that's shot (laughs) from him and then like cutting to the other ladies in the locker room and their faces. Yeah. Everything's just so well executed. (laughs) Penny is just a genius. I loved it. She is. I love Rosie. Rosie in the background. Talking to Madonna's character, and she's like, Time it, May, time it. Like, that's a long pee. And then, whenever he kind of stopped and then he kept going, and you hear her go, That still counts. Are you timing? (laughs) Boy, that was some good pee. Both Madonna and Rosie are polarizing figures Mm -hmm. these days especially but i I love them both still Mm -hmm. but just their dynamic in this movie is perfection yes because (laughs) they play off each other so well and then even the older ladies who inhabit those characters like they kind of capture some of that Mm -hmm. just their little barbs at each other and exchanges this was one of the best scripts was it nominated for any oscar do you know if not it should have definitely been i think it might nominated for screenplay I'll check real quick. Okay. They were definitely the best part of the movie for me. Like, my favorite part, even though this movie is so much perfection altogether. Yeah. Oh, nope. Just Golden Globes. One for Gina Davis and one for the original song that Madonna sings called This Used to Be My Playground. That is BS. This stinks! This is total BS! Yeah, I do not appreciate that. This definitely deserved Oscars. Speaking of layers, this movie also has a lot of layers just with all of the interwoven storylines because you have like the relationship between the two sisters and them struggling through that and Kit always living in Dottie's shadow. Mm -hmm. And then you have the whole feminism aspect where they have all of this pressure on them to perform and to keep it going and to be entertaining Mm -hmm. and good and prove themselves. And then you have like Jimmy's his redemption just coming back and then you have the war going on and the women getting through not knowing if their husbands are okay or their boyfriends are okay mm-hmm. there's so much going on that it's fascinating and it makes it that much better yeah and you have to really appreciate even though this movie encompasses so much it still allows time for the ensemble to really shine in different ways I think that's a real downfall of a lot of movies that are like
like this, you get glimpses of some of the side characters. But in this one, she, Penny, and the people behind the script really take the time to flesh out some of those tertiary characters, and it makes you just really feel for them. Mm-hmm. I really love the character of Marla, mm-hmm. who will just say people think she's kind of homely looking, yeah. and there are so many scenes with her that pay off later in different ways. Like her daddy at uh, the beginning delivers a heartbreaking moment of just like, I didn't know how to be a dad to her. I raised her as a boy and everything. And everyone just recoils whenever they look at like all the men do just like, oh, whoa. Yeah, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, but I like that it's not just used as a gag. They do make it pretty funny sometimes. Like they have like a promotional video <laughs> and they show Marla from a distance just so you can't see yeah. her. What a hitter. <laughs> But then you also have payoff later, like whenever, like she doesn't know how to be anyone, but like her dad's raised as a boy child, basically. She's never been around a group of women. Yeah, so she doesn't know how to do that. So whenever she gets to let loose a little bit later with karaoke and like meet a guy and just not be known as that ugly girl who plays baseball and just like really becomes a fully three-dimensional person, I think that's really nice. Yeah, that's just another layer of the movie. All of these women, they find a place for themselves because like Rosie's character said, she always felt like she was wrong and everyone made her feel like she was wrong like her nasty boyfriend Mm -hmm. for just liking baseball and being really good at it and no one accepted her but all of these women are like her and she says no they were wrong like I think we're right there's a place for these women to go and to shine and actually pursue their interests and be good at something other than just gender roles that they're stuck in yeah and you just look at this movie and you just think well if so much good and like self-realization and self-actualization could come from just this initial season. I know the season would continue for a few more years, but what if this had not had to stop? What if women had just been allowed to see more opportunities that were available to them outside of homemaker and specific positions in life? It's rousing seeing them get to do this in the time, but then when you see how short of a time it was, you're just like, oh, okay. So Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much farther we would be now if they would have had all of these opportunities. Yeah. And it's not like these are lesser games or lesser individuals. These were super talented women and the audiences, once they started paying attention, they were eating it up and they loved it. It wasn't just because they were there to see beautiful women, like beautiful dames playing sports. It's like, no, they were very talented women and they came to see like Dottie and everyone else and they would make signs to cheer for them and because they were invested in the actual play in yeah. the game. They had a World Series, just like any other World Series, and these people got to go to the World Series and they were stoked. Yeah. <laughs> and they got inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame and stuff, and people are super amped to see that. It was very exciting. Yeah, it's just, it's such a great movie. It works on so many levels, and it nails all of them, I think. Yeah, it's so strong <laughs> from start to finish, and the pacing is really good. Yeah, it's two hours and eight minutes, but it does not feel like, it flies by. Yeah, if anything, to me, it feels like maybe an hour and 40. Yeah. It's really good structure-wise. One of the just character things and gender roles in women, it always annoys me and makes me mad is how Dottie, she won't let herself enjoy baseball mm-hmm. because she has to be the older sister. She has to take care of Kit and then she also has to take care of her husband and she has to be the good wife. And so if he comes back, she needs to quit baseball immediately. But if her husband could just see her play baseball and see her happy and shining like that, I think it would make him extremely happy and it would make their life 
lives better. Well, this kind of ties back to what we were talking about with Juliet naked. It just depends on the <laughs> husband and how willing they are to yeah. indulge in their wives. Anyone, any person who's in a relationship willing to indulge in their partner's interests and everything. If, if they just have a base of not caring outside <laughs> yeah. of themselves. Then... But that's what I mean. Like, if he would look at her as a person instead of just a woman, yeah. like, trapped in these roles, then I think it would delight him. And she even said that he had never seen her play, mm-hmm. which is really sad. And it's something, it's like a part of her that she has to hide. She can't even enjoy it because she feels guilty whenever she's enjoying it. Yeah. And I think that's super sad and ridiculous. And it still happens today. Women can't enjoy things because they feel guilty. Yeah. So because they're just like, oh, I'm not taking care of my family like I should because I'm having a moment to myself. Uh. Yeah. Even though, as we've learned, like if any parent needs to take a moment for themselves or any person needs to take a moment to themselves, they're not a horrible person. It's important to do stuff that self-care, like do stuff that enriches your own life. Yeah. But it's just like programmed into women that you are bad if you rest. If you need to take a moment for yourself, you are selfish and you are bad. Yeah. Which is awful. Because that's how burnout happens and resentment and regret. Yeah. Because women are supposed to take care of everything and they're supposed to make the show run. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it always eats at me just how she can't ever really enjoy it until it's too late, you know? Yeah. This movie holds up well to multiple watches, even though mine had only been in parts. But <laughs> I like how you said you discovered this viewing that old Dottie was not, in fact, <laughs> Gina Davis in makeup whenever I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that's just an actress. And you're like, no, that's Gina in old age makeup. I'm like, no, I don't think there's any old age makeup that can make her look that good. Yeah, I thought that they just had her in old makeup and then everyone else was recast. It blew my mind. Yeah, let me look this up. I'm like, no, it's this actress from back in the day. She looks so much like Gina. It blew my mind. It is insane. It's called casting, baby. Perfect casting. But everyone else, yeah, they look similar, but she looks exactly like Gina Davis. (laughs) It is weird, wild stuff. That's why we got to keep watching this again and again. Catch those nuances. And you could, too. Catch those nuances like, hey, is that a young Taylor Leone on one of the opposing teams? Yes, it is. Yeah, and whenever we watched this the first time, whenever I guess you fell asleep a lot, you said the exact same thing whenever she appeared. You were like, is that Taylor Leone? And I was like, yeah. Well, because she has such a small (laughs) role. She just runs by the frame, basically, and I'm like, hey, hey. But she appears a lot throughout. Yeah. Because she's on the other their team. But like I said, I was asleep some of that time, so I probably missed a few of them. No, no, no. You were awake the first time that she appeared and you were like, is that Taya Leone? And then you just fell asleep throughout. But then whenever we watched it this time, you're like, is that Taya Leone? <laughs> In the exact same spot too. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime I see Taya Leone on screen, even when I'm watching Madam Secretary every time, even though she's the titular role, I'm saying, hey, is that Taya Leone? And every time, every episode you're just watching this and you're like whenever gina davis comes on screen is that our commander in chief (laughs) (laughs) i love strong women in power (laughs) r.i.p commander in chief that was a good show yeah so if you've never seen this movie please watch it and just feel all the emotions i feel empowered i feel delighted entertained (laughs) i laugh i cry just feel it all between last week with now and then and this (laughs) you're feeling the love for rosie (laughs) yeah got me feeling hella good yes (laughs) 
I wanted to do some more summery movies, so this is part of our summer movie series. Yeah, <laughs> and we're recording this the morning of 4th of July, and so what's more American than baseball? That's true. Slide into that rating system. <laughs> My rating system is tears because you know what? There is crying in baseball. There can be crying if you want. <laughs> <laughs> How many tears are you going to shed for this? I'm going to shed five tears out of five. So I'm crying in this baseball game. <laughs> Let's round home with your rating system. Very good. <laughs> My rating system is, of course, karaoke bangers. Because <laughs> when Marla is just serenading that bar with her it karaoke band. had to be you. <laughs> that husky voice. Mm. I would sing five full karaoke bangers out of five. I think it's one of our best. Behold cinema. That's right. <laughs> if you would like to watch this amazing movie... It is currently available on Stars, on Blu-ray, and if you can find it on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray as a part of the Columbia Classics 4K set. I believe it is currently out of print, but that is how we watched it, and it is immaculate, and you should try to get your hands on it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next week when we'll be discussing 1996's Big Night starring Stanley Tucci, the Tooch, and Monk himself, Tony Shalhoub, and 2004's Napoleon Dynamite starring John Heater, plus a wild card that you'll have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, Big Night is currently available on Paramount Plus and Canopy, and Napoleon Dynamite is available on digital and Blu-ray. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies that we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. Please leave a rating or a review. It helps us out. That would be great. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DylanGonzalez2. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on geekvibesnation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at JessicaNarrates. You can also find me contributing to geekvibesnation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the Art of Ben Belcher. I've been Dylan. I've been Jessica. What if, at a key moment in the podcast, my uniform burst open and, uh, oops, my bosoms come flying out? That might draw a crowd, right? Dylan, do you think there are men in this country who ain't seen your bosoms? Bye! Bye.